we've been talking about what makes salvation so great. And it's part of my purpose for you to be able to understand the wonderful gift that God has given us. Salvation is more than what, what we think it is. And we were talking about how salvation is just one big, beautifully gift wrapped package with so many beautifully gift wrapped packages in it. And salvation is just one big, generous blessing that God has provided for us. And each of those gifts that are in that giant package are different aspects of salvation. And we begin to talk about that and we begin to unwrap some of these wonderful gifts that God has provided. We talked about what salvation is. And we said that salvation is the word soteria, which simply means, oh, actually has several meanings. It means provider, it means uh, protector, it means preserver, it means to keep safe, it means to make whole, it means to, to make well, it means to heal. So there is a, a series of blessings that come with that word salvation. Then we talked about the word saved, which is the Greek word sozo, which has a similar meaning. So even though they're both two different Greek words, but they both have the same meaning, which means that we're talking about a great supply of blessings that come with this message of salvation. So salvation is basically a package deal. And we began to look at some of these things. We talked about one of the gifts of this salvation message or this great salvation and we talked about how God had blotted out our sins through his son Jesus. And we talked about how important that was. Because all of everything that we've ever done in our past, God has wiped it away clean. He's cleansed it. He's, he, he struck it out. There was no record at all of our past sins. And that was because of what Christ had done. The Bible says he became sin for us so that, he, so that we can become his righteousness. And so it's wonderful to know that he forgiven us. And also cleansed us from all unrighteousness, removing all that guilt and removing uh, that sin uh, in our past. So when he looks at us, he doesn't look at what we've done. And, you know, we, we, we think about people who always remind us of our past mistakes and how he always reminds us of our past sins. But God will never do that because he blotted it out. There's nothing for him to go back to because there's no record. So we talked about how important that wonderful gift is. And then we talked about justification, another wonderful gift of salvation. And justification is simply uh, being declared innocent or being declared righteous. And I, I tell you, justification is such a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has provided for us because no one can accuse us of anything. The Bible says, who dares accuse us? It is Christ who died. And it is God that justifies. You know, and so... When we, if somebody ever tried to accuse you of anything, don't sweat it. Because God doesn't accuse you of anything. There's nothing to accuse you of. And we, and we use the example of being in a court where the, the Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, is the prosecutor. And um, Jesus, who is our advocate, our defense attorney, and God is being our judge. And just imagine... Being in a courtroom with the devil, the accuser, the prosecutor in one spot, and Jesus, the defender, on the other, and you being here, you are the, the what would they call that? Um, the defendant, yes. Uh, and I talked about how my experience in law and order has helped me to be able to share this message. But what I love about it is that you, you have the accuser accusing you of something, but the problem is he has no evidence to accuse you of. Because you see, he has no record to go back to. 
He has nothing that is recorded about your past sins. And Jesus is just like sitting there, just, you know, just, you know, just chilling back and, you know, letting Satan do all the accusing. And the judge is looking and wondering, okay, where's your evidence? And there's this term in, in court that says inadmissible, which means that it's not allowed. So every accusation, every charge that the accuser brings to God is inadmissible in court. And so it has to be thrown out. And that's what justified, justification means. We stand not guilty before God. Everything that we've ever done in the past has been wiped away. Every charge, every record, every, anything we've ever done in life has been struck away, has been blotted out, has been removed. And so now we have the, the privilege and the ability to be able to stand before God as though we've never sinned. And so that's what justification is, an awesome and wonderful gift. Then we begin to talk about another gift that we begin to unwrap, and that's God's unconditional love. And so let's talk about that a little bit more. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. And in beginning in verse 8. Says this. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is what? God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now go to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And in verse 1 it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it knew him not. So God... What I love about this is that John was so amazed and so fascinated by the fact that God had demonstrated his love towards us that he would call us children, his children. Now, I don't mean to bring up any of your past, but you remember what you were like before you came to Christ. Uh, some of you probably don't want to remember that. But you remember what you did. You know what you remember where you came from. And here's a wonderful thing that Regardless of the mess that we were in, regardless of, of the, whatever, whatever we did, whatever sin we committed, whatever it was that we were in, whatever immorality that we were involved in, God looked at us and in spite of all that. And here's the wonderful thing about God. God had already planned this out. He had the, adopt, the adoption papers already set before the foundation of the world because he knew what he had to do. Because he knew that since Adam and Eve sinned, he knew that it was going to take him to be able to deal with the sin problem so that he can reconcile us back to himself, forgive us, and bring us back to the place that he intended for us to be. So when he looked at us and he saw the damage and he saw the, the immorality, he saw the, the unrighteousness, he saw the ungodliness, he saw the mess that we were in, but that never stopped him. Because let me ask you this question. Who would have accepted you in the mess that you were in? Who would have called you his children 
as immoral and ungodly that we were. Who could have done that? But none but the Lord. Only he could do that. And so because of the fact that even though we were in such a mess. Matter of fact, go to Romans chapter 8. Uh, chapter 5, excuse me. Just to show you how much God loves us. In Romans chapter 5. His plan of salvation truly demonstrates his unconditional love. And Romans chapter 5, beginning verse 6 says this. For we were still helpless or without strength. In other words, we were, we were without strength that we could not help ourselves. He says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then look down in verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now skip down to verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So here's a demonstration of his love. Here he's looked at us. We were helpless. We were sinners. And we were his enemies. An enemy is someone who's hostile against another. But yet, in spite of all that, the Bible says Christ died for us. So even though we were his enemies, even though we were ungodly, even though we were sinners, even though we were unrighteous, even though we were immoral, even though we were impure, God loved us. And for God to love us unconditionally, he would have to love us in the condition that we were in. And that's what I love about the Lord. So what condition were you in before you came to the Lord? And I list the last time we talked about, I I gave you a list of things, hostile, ungodly, offensive, rebellious, violators, fornicators, adulterers, transgressors, drunkards, uh, strung out, addicted, selfish, proud, arrogant, self-dependent, self-deceivers, self-conceited. Take your pick. But the Bible says, but God so loved the world. You know, when God looked at the world, he saw the mess that we were in. And he knew that we were helpless, that we could not help or save ourselves. So you knew, he knew that it had to take himself to deal with the problem. See, that is what God, I mean, I cannot stress enough how much God really loves us. The fact that he looked at the mess that we were in, yet he initiated his love towards us. He reached out to us in order to save us and bring us back in right standing and then adopt us. And call us his children. Man, that's, I'll tell you, that is awesome. He didn't tell us that he loves us. He showed us that he loves us. Go to 1 John uh, chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Paul says that while we were still helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, God had demonstrated his love. And he, as I said before, he didn't just tell us that he loved us. He showed it to us. First John chapter 3 and verse 18 says this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but what? In deed and in truth. In other words, don't talk to talk, walk to walk. And Christ was the first to demonstrate that. And he's telling us that we are to do the same. Amen. 
All right, go to 1 John chapter 3 once again. 1 John chapter 3. Are you in 1 John chapter 3? I knew that. I was just testing all of you here. Look in verse 1 once again. I want to read that to you again. It says, Behold what manner of love or what quality of love the Father hath bestowed upon us or showed us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world know him not because it knew him not. What manner of, or what quality of love that he's shown us. And again, in John's gospel, the first chapter in verse 12, it says this, that, uh, that, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right or the power or the privilege or the authority to be called children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. And you know, uh, again, we have so many orphans in this world today. And especially the older ones. And I know that many parents tend to like to go for the younger ones, the babies. And they sort of tend to neglect the older ones. But with God, it doesn't matter how old you are, how sinful you were. It doesn't matter with God. He'll take you in and accept you as his own in adopting you and calling you his son and his daughter. And again, nothing but the Lord. Only he can do uh, that uh, that love. Only he can extend that kind of love towards us. So there is no higher love than to show us or to be able to adopt us as we were, the mess that we were in, and just to call us his daughter and his son. And here's the wonderful thing about this too. He gave us a new life. He gave us a father. He provided us with a purpose. He gave us an eternal destiny. That's the love that he had for us. It's almost like, you know, God has so much things, so much better for you. He says, listen, if you believe in me, I'll take you in. I'll be your father. I'll take care of you. I'll guide you and direct you. Just stick with me. Stay with me. Believe in me. Have faith in me. And I will prepare your life. And I will lead you and guide you into your eternal destiny. That's what God wants to do with us tonight. So that's one of the other gifts. Let's talk about another gift, the fourth gift. Go to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to talk about the fourth gift. Colossians chapter 1. Are you there? Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 19 says this. Who was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So the fourth gift that God provides us with as part of this salvation package is the word reconciliation. A wonderful gift. That word reconciliation implied that something went wrong, something became disruptive or or divided between a relationship and it needs to be brought back together again. The word reconciliation is the Hebrew word or the Greek word. It's, uh, let me see, kala, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Let me try to pronounce it. Let's see. Kala lasso. 
All right, it's made up of two Greek words. And it simply means to change from hostility or disharmony to harmony and friendship. In other words, to change from being hostile to becoming friendly. To bring together or to restore. The idea here is when two persons who should have been together all along, but because of something that disrupted that relationship, this reconciliation is that enmity, that, that disruption, that thing that caused that disharmony has been brought together and made one. In other words, it means that the wall that was separating the hostile parties had been broken down and the relationship between the two parties are now had been healed. Mm-mm-mm. So, reconciliation has to do with the removal of hostility and the restoration of harmony in a relationship. And that one thing that disrupted the relationship between us and God was sin. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know that reconciliation is the work of God according to Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 22. He made it possible through the death of his son. If it weren't for that, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be no reconciliation. Christ was the one that removed that thing that separated us between us and God. He was the one that bridged that gap. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, says this, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Interesting what he says in verse 18, he says, All these things come from God, who reconciled. God had a hand in this. It was him who reconciled us to himself, to himself through his son, Jesus. Again, what I want you to see is God's initiative. I mean, he, how he initiated everything. How he's the one that reached out to us. And through his son, removed that thing that caused that disruption or disharmony between us. Because it was God's desire to have relationship with us in the first place. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Because <clears throat> this is where it all began. So God was a very much a part of reconciliation. It was made possible through his son's death. Genesis chapter 3, beginning verse 8, it says this. They heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called them to the man and said to him, Where are you? And verse 10 said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now before this took place, Adam and Eve enjoyed intimate relationship with the Father until they sinned. And when they heard the the sound of the Lord walking through the, the garden, they hid themselves. That's the first indication of a separation. That's the first indication of disharmony and disruption of that relationship. Because they knew that something was wrong when they ate the fruit. And so when they heard the Lord coming, they hid themselves. And you see, if, if you were not in sin, there would be no reason to hide. 
there would be no reason to feel guilty or ashamed. But because they felt guilt and shame, which is a byproduct of sin, they hid themselves. And again, that's the first indication that they've separated themselves and alienated themselves from God. And now look down in verse 23. And keep in mind, because of their spiritual condition, they did not want to be in the presence of God. Verse 23 says this, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground and from whence he had, was taken. Verse 24, So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So now God had to drive him out of the garden. And once again, that separation became complete. That sin was one that disrupted and brought disharmony and hostility and alienation between God and man. And from that point on, man had been born into this world alienated from God. The word alienation means to be cut off or to be put at a distance. And so that's what sin does. And so I want you to go back to Romans chapter 5. So a broken relationship had begun in the garden when Adam sinned, and now it affected the rest of the world. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So when we were separated, and alienated because of sin, sin also, what it does is also brings hostility. It brings, it causes us to become enemies of God. When God looks at us as a sinful person, he looks at us, at us as an enemy. And therefore, because he's such a holy God, he cannot stand in the presence of sin. So you couldn't even approach God. But understand this, but it was God's desire all along to reconcile us back to himself. He had that plan right from the beginning before the foundation of the world. And so he already started the process because he wanted that fellowship and relationship with God. He wanted to restore that relationship that he once had with man. And he wanted to restore it back to the place where he originally intended for it to be. That is just God's desire. So we were enemies. And there's such a huge barrier of hostility between us and God. Until Christ came. And died and changed all of that. One of the things that Christ's death provided for us was the healing of the broken relationship between us and God. And you know, in a marriage, it's so detrimental when a husband and wife separate. Because there's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of hostility. That's not God's desire. God's desire is to have peace and harmony with one another. That's why when a man and a woman come together, they become one. Anything that separates that brings all that hostility and all that, all, all that stuff that's, that comes in between a, a man and a woman or in a relationship. But God wants to restore fellowship with us. And he accomplished that through his son. So God has done all that is necessary to restore us back to himself. All we need to do is simply receive it and accept it and then join into that relationship and that fellowship with the father. And the only thing that can prevent us from having a close and intimate relationship with God today is sin. Or if we just reject or refuse God's gesture of love. It's God's desire to bring us together as one. He wants to enjoy, just think about that. 
We're talking about an awesome God, a supreme God, an exalted God. But yet he wants to have fellowship with us. Isn't that something? He wants to have relationship with us. Glory to God. Let's talk about a fifth gift. And this is probably a gift that you probably don't think much about. But this is the gift of his life. Go to Romans chapter 5. And we know that Christ had given his life for us. We know that he died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about him giving up his life. I'm talking about the life that he now lives today. Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 8 says this. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now I want you to look very closely to verse 10. Paul is saying that through the Lord's death, we were reconciled. Through the Lord's death, we were also redeemed. Through the Lord's death, we were also forgiven of our sins. Through the Lord's death, we were also justified. Through the Lord's death, we were, uh, all of our sins have been blotted out. Through the death of his son, we were brought in right relationship with the father. Through his death, a lot has been accomplished. But if we receive all those things through his death, If all those things are ours through his death, then what is ours through his life? Because the word here in verse 10 says, Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what does that mean? Much more. As a matter of fact, he mentions it five times in this chapter. Much more. That means there's more. So if we receive all those wonderful things, all those wonderful blessings through his death, what Paul is saying, there's still much more in his life. (laughs) Glory to God. So, reconciliation is ours, but it became ours through his death. And Paul is saying, how much more would be ours now that the Lord Jesus is alive, exalted, and triumphant? See, it's very important. You know, it's it's one thing for the Lord Jesus to die for us. That's wonderful. He had to do that. But what good will it do us if he stayed dead? You know, it's interesting. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is saying, how much more shall we be saved by his life? What more will he do for us now that he's alive? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look down at verse 17. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, if, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Verse 18, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are all most miserable men. So it was very important that Christ not only died, but also be raised up. You see, because his resurrection was that receipt that validates that the payment that he made was paid in full. It was done. It was complete. 
And so it was very important that now that he's alive, there's much more to be had. And that's what Paul is telling us. Get ready because there's something more. There's more coming. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. So, if we know that there's much more, if what he's done and what, what he's accomplished through his death brought so much to us, and we want to know then how much more will his life bring to us. Imagine the power that is presently at work right now, today, as we speak, on our behalf, now that he lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 says this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So Paul was simply telling us that God in his prayer, that God, that his prayer was that he wants us to understand the power of God. And this power is now in effect even now today while Christ is alive. And again, it's very, un, it's very important that we understand that much more shall be able. In other words, Christ now that he's alive is able to do even much more and with much greater power because of the fact that he's alive. And we have to get that, saints. We've got to get that. Oh, I'm just getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down. Let me relax here. So, all right, let's continue. And keep in mind that the word saved is the word sozo, which means preserve, to protect, to heal, to make whole, to make well. All these wonderful things. And so, that is still happening even now. That is taking place right now as we speak. So now that he's alive, we shall be delivered. We shall be made well. We shall be made whole. We shall be preserved. We shall be protected. We shall be healed. Because the Lord is alive today. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings where in heavenly places. And where is Christ now? In heavenly places. So we know that the cross, which represents the death of Christ, brought redemption. But the life of Christ brings sanctification. We know that the cross of Christ, which represents his death, saved us and delivered us from the penalty of sin. But we now know that his life saves us. From the power and dominion of sin. Do you see what I'm saying here? God is very, Jesus is very much alive and he's very active and working on our behalf. And his power is that much greater now that he's alive than he was when he was dead. All right, praise God. Okay. Now, but there's still much more. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Listen, the Lord Jesus is not a past tense savior. He didn't just save us and that was it. We're not just saved. There's more than that. It's not that Jesus is alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, just waiting for the Father to give him the command to come down and rescue us. He's not just sitting around waiting. But the Lord is presently active on our behalf right now. Romans 5.10, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life? So the question is this. If, he is, if he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, then what is he doing? 
What is he doing? Well, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's preserving. He's protecting. He's keeping us safe. He's making us well. He's making us whole. He's delivering us. He's rescuing us. He's, he is sustaining and ministering to us today on a daily basis. How do I know that? Well, in Hebrews 9 and verse 24 says this. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for who? For us. Notice what he says. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. The word for us is, very, is a very important word to remember because he's not just sitting next to the Father. It's just sitting around waiting for him to command him. He's there to appear in his presence every day for us. Now go to Romans chapter 8. He appears in the presence of the Father for us. But more specifically, what is he doing for us? Romans 8, verse 34, says this. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Notice the emphasis on his resurrection. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes what? Session for who? For us. Hallelujah. So it was very clear that Jesus is very much alive and presently active at the right hand of the Father to appear before him every day for us. And we know that he's not just sitting around waiting, but he's interceding for us. Okay, stay with me. So he is now functioning in his priestly ministry that he was given by the Lord God himself. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews says that Christ who being alive can now appear in the presence of God to intercede for us. Hebrews chapter 7. Look in verse 25. Therefore he is also able to save, to preserve, to heal, to make whole, to make well, to rescue, to keep us safe, to protect to the uttermost, call completely or final, those who come to God through him, since he always live to make intercession for them. Now, it's interesting that the Old Testament high priest would only go before the presence of God once a year. But before he had to do that, he had to go through a process of cleansing and purification. And he had to atone for himself before he could enter into the Holy of Holy to atone for the, God's people. But that was once a year. The Bible says that Jesus always lives every day, every year. To make intercession for us. In other words, there is no interruption. It's an everyday, daily basis that Jesus is operating in his ministry of the, of the priestly ministry. Constantly interceding for who? For us. They say that again? For who? For us. for us. Let's go on. So, he is looking out for our interests, presenting our request to the Father. Now go to Hebrews chapter 4. 
He lives forever to plead with God on our behalf. And there is no interruption because the Old Testament priests, they would continue in that high priestly ministry until they died. Then they have to replace him. With Christ, he lives forever. There is no interruption. So he is constantly ministering in his, in his ministry of, of, of the priestly ministry. And there is no interruption. There's a constant flow, a constant ministering and sustaining and preserving and interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 4. This makes him the perfect high priest because he sympathizes with us. Verse 14 says this. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation. By the way, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. But one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning, the Lord, since he is alive, lives always to plead our cause, who aids and assists us, who presents our interest before the mercy seat in the heavens. For this purpose, he ascended to heaven. Glory to God. So he makes intercession for us constantly every day of our lives. Think about this. That should give us confidence every day of our lives, knowing that we have a high priest interceding for us. So there is no personal problem which he cannot find a solution for. He's interceding for us. He's in the presence of God, pleading our case, and helping and causing him to extend God's grace into our lives. This is what he's doing Today, If you ever wondered what Christ was doing, that's what he's doing for us every day. Hallelujah. And it's interesting, too, the importance of his ministry. Because you and I cannot live the Christian life for a day if it weren't for the fact that Christ Jesus is a high priest interceding for us. The Bible says in Romans 5.10, he will save us through his life. That means God is, Christ is still in the salvation mode. He wants to make sure that we finish that, that, that race. He wants to make sure that we get to that place. He knows, listen, he understands the struggles that we go through in life. That's why he's interceding for us. That's why his life is so important to us. Because while he's alive, the power of God becomes even that much greater through his son. Listen. Many of us feel that the apostle Paul is a great spiritual leader and a great Christian. Wouldn't you agree? I would think so. I mean, after all, I mean, especially with his prayer life. He had a very powerful prayer life. Because every time he talked to God, things happened. I mean, the prison shake. Uh, doors open. Chains are loosed. People get delivered. And people get saved every time Paul's, Paul prays. So let's suppose you find yourself in your darkest hour. You're, you're, you're going through some, some awful stuff. You know, you're going through a period of, of, of pain and suffering and struggling. Then the phone rings. And you pick it up. And on the other line is the Apostle Paul. 
And he says to you these words. He says this. My brother, my sister, I just wanted you to know I am very much aware concerning your terrible sufferings and all of your pain. And therefore, I plan to spend the next 24 hours on my knees crying out in prayer for you. Now, wouldn't that cause you to become, uh, you know, comfort? Wouldn't that be comforting to know that the Apostle Paul is praying for you? Especially someone who knows what you're going through. And someone who's willing to take the time, 24 hours, to go on his knees just to pray for you. To get you through your struggles. I mean, that is comforting and reassuring to me. Knowing that someone is praying for me. Ah, but now you hear another voice. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your darkest hour, in, your, in the midst of your financial lack, in the midst of, of whatever it is that you might be going through. And this voice says to you this, my dear child, you need to know I am fully acquainted with all of your darkest moment, your sad grief and despair. Therefore, I plan to do today that which I've previously done since the time of your salvation and will continue to do as long as you live, and that is to spend every single second of every single minute, of every single hour, of every single day to pray for you because I sit at the right hand of my Father. When we talk about Christ being our intercessor, that's exactly what he's doing. He's in the Father's face praying for us. To make sure that we're preserved during our difficult times. To make sure we're protected. To, to keep us safe. So that when we find ourselves going in the wrong direction. He's interceding and praying. Lord. Help him. Protect him. Preserve him. When we make bad choices. Or we're about to face a bad difficulty situation in our lives. He's praying. Because listen. He knows everything that goes on in our lives. So who, would, who better than Jesus. Our high priest be praying for us. Now, wouldn't that be comforting to know and reassuring to know that Jesus is praying for us even in our most difficult time of our lives? So, knowing that, that should help you to get through whatever it is that you go through in life because you're not alone. He's very much aware of what you're going through. And so he's standing in the presence of God every day, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Not just sitting around, but he's praying for us. He's preserving us. He's protecting us. He's keeping us safe through his prayers and in his intercession. Hallelujah. There's an old time minister back in the 1800s named Robert Murray McShane. He made this statement. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet, distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. So, Christ is our intercessor. And see, these are all part of this wonderful package called salvation. And time doesn't allow me to go into the fact that he's also our advocate, that he's also our mediator. Time doesn't allow us to talk about the fact that he saved us from his wrath. Because you know that the wrath of God will come. And we don't have time to even talk about that. 
But that for us is a gift because he saved us from that. But we do know this. There is many aspects of, of salvation. And I want all of you to spend time in the word and find out for yourselves all the wonderful gifts that he's provided for us through this wonderful gift called salvation. Because they're there. And the more you know, the more you, you can receive it, and the more you can enjoy it, and the more you can walk in it. So I want to encourage you tonight, go to the Word and find out all the wonderful aspect of salvation that God has provided for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you will do. Father, we especially thank you, Lord God, to know that your Son, Jesus, is sitting at the right hand. Father, praying for us, serving as our mediator, serving as our advocate, Father God, pleading our cause. And Father, for this we know, Father God, that we can stand against anything. We can come against anything because we know, Father, that you're praying for us. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful gifts that you provided for us through salvation. And Father, we thank you for being saved, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that we have this wonderful life as a Christian. And Lord, we thank you for helping us to be a stronger Christian. Father, we thank you for helping us to be more victorious Christian. Father, thank you, Lord God, that we become more of a praying Christian. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that one day we will be a rejoicing Christian when you come and receive us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the relationship that we enjoy with you. Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've ever done and all that you will do in our lives. Thank you. And Lord, we so appreciate this wonderful gift called salvation. We will not take it for granted. We will not, Father God, ignore it, reject it, or take it lightly. But Lord, we're going to embrace it. We're going to rejoice in it. We're going to love it. We're going to walk in it. And we're going to thank you every day. And so, Father, we thank you today. And we give you all the glory and all the praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.